This. This is, this is Diversified, Diversified Game. 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 A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. And AL. Focus more on execution and application and less on excuses. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, you guys, I'm bringing you game all the way to the brain. I have a psychotherapist, (laughs) James S. Miller, who coined the term lifeology. You can see him at jamesmillerlifeology.com, lifeology.tv. He has, you know, he's on like 17 different AM and FM uh, stations, so you might have heard his voice before because he has the perfect radio voice. He also could model, and you won't believe that he's been doing this for 22 years, and he's also on like 19 different uh, podcasting platforms. The guy speaks Spanish. I don't, the only thing I haven't seen him do, because yes, he's like a few classes away from his PhD, is write a book and a movie. James, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, that was quite an introduction. Thank you so much, Kellen. I'm really honored. Uh, you did so much research. That's quite impressive. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. You are like, it's amazing. Like when I see resumes like that, I say, whoa. Like if you ever want to be humble, you're like, whoa. Because my Spanish, I tell people, is un poco and y malo. So, you know. Um, That's <laughs> but, but But I want to, you know, I, I told you, I want to get in to your life because to me, sure. I, I'm sure people on the surface look at all that and say, wow, what a perfect life not understanding if they look at your one sheet and your bio mm-hmm. that you had a great practice in DC and you weren't feeling fulfilled. So yeah. for that person, and I always think about the 14 year old who's at home listening saying, wait, oh, I, have, good. Yes. I have great soft skills. I don't know what I want to do in life. Psychotherapist. I mean, am I taking care of psychos in the psych ward with knives? <laughs> Give us like a rundown of your life and how, how it's been in your profession and career. Well, perfect. Well, thank you once again for allowing me to be a guest on your show. So I'm truly honored. You know, it's, it's interesting. Most times people always show up at the end part of one's life. In other words, they see the success, but they don't see that time when people struggled when they were up late at night crying, when they were worried about their money, when they had all these other stressors. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to perhaps go through a little bit of the timeline of my life to help people understand that what, what people may see on TV or what people may see um, or hear on the radio, it wasn't always that way. You know, for me, um, I, real quickly, my, I was born in Michigan, but my parents had a very rustic fishing resort in Canada. So half the year I was up in Canada, uh, we had to fly in by float plane, there was no electricity, it was really, really rustic. And so it's funny because most people, when they see me now, they're like, oh, you're such a city boy. And I suppose that's true now, but that's not how I grew up. But as I grew up, I found that I had a natural penchant or proclivity that people would just t- come up and talk to me. Even when I didn't want them to, they would come tell me their whole life story. So I found that that was just kind of a natural fit for me when it came to psychology. And I've actually talked about this in a, a couple different shows. And I think this is a really important takeaway that regardless of where life, where you are in life or how you started in life, there's always an opportunity for something to, to become a, for something to become a stumbling block or a stepping stone. And for me, what happened, I was uh, going through, I guess, more of like a teenage angst type of depression that I was, you know, struggling with. And in that, I had to go talk to someone just like me. 
And so I was, they thought it would be best for me to be in the hospital for a couple of days. So I was. And in that time, I remember thinking, oh, I hate everybody. They don't know what they're doing. And I'm 17 years old. What did I know? So in that, when I was in that, that hospital there, that's when I made a vow to say, if I can help anybody at all, I'm going to do that. So this is the really cool part I want us to focus on. Four years later, I graduated with my undergrad in psychology, and I ended up working at a temporary agency that would have me going to different hospitals. And so I ended up going to the same hospital on the same unit, having the keys, and I was able to fulfill that vow four years later of saying, I'm going to help anybody that I can. And so that's really what the, the lesson is, regardless of how dire or how dark or how overwhelming a situation is, there's always another side to it. You know, think of your life like a coin. There's always going to be that yin and yang, that good or bad, if you will. But if we're struggling at a certain part, we know that we have the opportunity to overcome something. And so in that moment, I said, well, what am I going to do? And that's when I made that vow. And like I said, four years later, I was able to fulfill that vow. And then from then on, that's always been the platform for me of just finding that compassion for people of saying, you know, I was struggling at a certain time and I was able to overcome it. And if I'm able to overcome it, um, I know for myself, I have the confidence that I can help other people overcome it as well. So that was really the kind of the, the foundation for me. And then fast forward years later, um, I've become the person I am today. Well, that's deep for me uh, on so many levels because I've worked in the group homes, the psych wards. I remember, um, you know, getting the, you know, you do the, sometimes the grunt work working with the clients in the, the psych wards are, are in, in different levels and then you become the supervisor and everybody's in union and you got to follow these rules. But, I, but the majority of things that you hear kids say in these settings are, I want to do what you do. And of course, many of the staff are like, this guy is not ever going to live like a normal <laughs> life, which is something I never thought of because I always, I, the way I grew up and my mother doing that type of work and bringing people mm -hmm. home, I, I, I could see that you could always flip that coin. So I love that your testimony is I needed this help because you and I know there's a lot of professionals in the mental health who need the help, who don't go get yes, the help. Yes, they do. You're absolutely right. And, you know, and to piggyback that off even further, when you were saying that, you know, sometimes when we are in that field, and we're working with kids and in that moment their life may is not as polished as you know as adults how, how it may be for us now and then yeah I probably didn't look like I had the ability to do that and then as life unfolded for me things changed but you know the other interesting thing was as well and I don't know I've never actually said this on air so this is the first time when I was in graduate school I had a lot of my professors tell uh, my mentor who is also a professor amazing lady they're like I don't think James is going to be a good clinician <laughs> he just, he, there's something different about him. He, he did, I didn't fit the mold. Like every, every uh, methodology or philosophy that was taught, I always would question it, not in a, a contentious way or trying to disprove it, but that's just how I learned. And so when they would say things, I would ask them and, and twist it around so I understood it better. But it was funny because they thought I wouldn't be a good clinician. And then you know, here I am having this practice and used to be a professor and all that stuff. So it was, it is funny. So even the people who, that, who teach you, or who are supposed to be your mentors, even if they don't trust you, if you have a belief in your heart and you know something just resonates with you, then you have to hold fast to that because not everybody's going to understand your dream. Wow. Wow. And, 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 and that might be because you saw something from the first hand, you know, that they could only read in a book um, when you're coming in sometimes with arrogance of these folks have problems. I mean, there's great people in mental health 
But there's also in everything people who sure. should not be doing that work sure. and they should exactly. just find something else. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk about then you get a successful clinic in D.C., what it took to build that up, you know, business wise and then to say, I need to let it go in that Florida. And you and I are going to be neighbors soon because we're moving. To oh, that area. Yeah. yeah, we're awesome. moving. We're moving to the West Palm to Boca area. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I have to have coffee. That'd be great. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, can, we can do full food. Coffee. I've had enough of there it. We go. Seattle. Yeah, I'm 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 a band coffee once I get out of Seattle. <laughs> I, I tell people coffee is where deals get delayed. Um, yes. Yeah. But, but yeah, talk about your clinic that or your your practice that you had in DC and what you know what feelings did you have to say, I need to get out of here and go to a sunnier place. Sure. That's a great question. I in fact that's one thing I do. I still help people who want to start their, their clinic. Um, I, I come from a business standpoint, uh, not only to be able to help your help your clients, but also how to generate a lot of money that way. Because unfortunately, a lot of times we don't know how to put those two things together. Uh, so for me, a little bit more of my backstory was I was um, so I'm a composer as well. So I, I was always in the music industry. I um, I did well, <laughs> said it right about the movies. I did a lot of movies when I was younger, a lot of commercials and television. Um, in fact, I'll tell you later on what's happening with Lifeology today. But um, so I had a really creative side. And so here I am working in a practice and I loved it. It was, it, was, it was everything. I was making money. I was getting really well known and it was nice. But then there was a part of me that still was not being fulfilled. I mean, so here I am helping people. But I was so inundated with my practice that when I would come home, I would, you know, spend time with friends and things like that. But it just wasn't, just kind of got old. And so one of the things I, I always tell people, if you ever ask the question or say something like this is, there's, there's got to be more to life or I can't imagine doing this again. Or gosh, when I think of my future in 10 years from now, if I'm doing the same thing, I'm, I'm going to shoot myself or something. Yeah. Like that. The point is, is that when you have those thoughts, that's a really a form of mediocrity. So it doesn't mean you're mediocre. It just means that situation or that time frame has a sense of mediocrity to it. And so when you want to say, well, what can I do differently? Or if I like some of this, how do I augment it or shift it? So it, I can see the next iteration or the next version of what that looks like. And research states that most people have five different versions of what their career looks like. And so for me, I, and I didn't know that at the time, I was like, okay, what, what would that look like? So I was like, well, I talk for a living. Um, I, I do this and I do that. So what would that look like instead of doing from one-on-one counseling or couples counseling? How do I take that bigger? Because I was in the entertainment industry for a while. And so I, um, I took a little bit of time off and I worked on my, at that time I worked on my first album. Uh, as I said, I, I, I'm a classical pianist, so I have my first album um, for my compositions. And I did that and I was like, you know, I'm just, I really miss this. And so I made a really hard decision and there was lots of sequences that happened just for steps just before that. But uh, everything just fell into place. Like I no longer need to be here. I could be here, but I no longer need to be here. And what I always tell people is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Meaning just because I can stay here doesn't mean I should stay here. Because if I keep having that same question, I can't imagine myself doing this or the same statement, then why am I still here then? So I, um, I had a couple options. I was going to move to, to London and um, compose. I, I had known, known a lot of producers over there and they wanted me to compose for some of their movies, but that just didn't fall, th- it just fell through rather. And so I had some friends that were down here in this area and like, James, just come on down here, see what you think. And so I checked out Miami, I checked out Fort Lauderdale, I checked out a lot of other things. And um, that was just so, it just felt like this is what resonated with me. And so that was something that I was like, you know, I'm going to do this. So I took about 
six months off and I really started to formulate during that six months, what does this new version of me look like? And so I started um, James Miller Lifeology, or Lifeology rather, and so I started on YouTube. But this is something I think is really important that we all should remember. If you have an end in mind, everything you do, you want to reverse engineer. So if for me, my goal is to have my television show. And so I thought, well, what do I do to get to television? So I thought, well, there's television. So I worked backwards to radio, to podcast, to YouTube, to blogging. So I started to do the opposite of that. So let me start from the blogging. So I started my, my webpage and that became really large, uh, really well known. And then I went to YouTube. And the thing is with YouTube, I did for six months, I did a YouTube um, episode every single day. But I didn't really care if people listened, listened to it or watched it. I mean, obviously that's good, but I did it to practice being in front of the camera again because that was the end that I had. So I thought, well, I'm gonna do this every single day. I'm gonna practice it. And it's funny, if you ever see my first um, YouTube, <laughs> YouTube shows or episodes, they're pretty bad, I'm not gonna lie. So here I'm trying to be like this all-inspiring person. Could I not be any more flat in my presentation? Content's good, but the production value is pretty bad. It got much better later on. Um, and so from, then, from there, then I went to a podcast. So I had about, I think like 50 episodes for podcasts. And then I think it was uh, December of 2017, I went full-time to radio. And so now I think I have, what, 240 shows uh, for radio um, three times a week. And that's just blown up. And, and I'm very, very honored and very blessed. And um, in fact, I've, I have hopefully within the next, I think the next, what, three weeks, I wish you'd hear if my, my television show, which is in production, has been picked up by some of the major networks for fall programming. So that's a really exciting time as well. So it's, it's been a wonderful journey, scary at times. I'm not going to minimize that because you know, I'm sure Kellen, like you know as well, when you start something new, you have no idea if it's gonna work or not. You have no idea if it's like, oh my gosh, why, I, I left my you know, successful practice in DC, you know, being very confident and comfortable with what I was making. And then now to start mm -hmm. something new to be like, oh my goodness, am I even going <laughs> to have any money? <laughs> what am I going to do? And so it can be really scary. So please, I want your audience to understand that it's not about, um, it's not like everything is easy. You have to work. Success is like a bank account. You only get out of it what you put into it. So very, very interesting and true. And, you know, I... I was looking at you and I said, you know, I was looking on the website and I'm like, why isn't the he on TV and TV? I just came back from Miami um, about a week and a half ago for Nappy, which is. Oh, Nappy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was Many my first. Yeah. yeah, it was my first one. I've wanted to go for years. Um, been delayed um, doing, you know, daddy duties and it just never being a great time. My wife doing from medical school to residency. It was just wow, never a good, good thanks. It never a good time. And now in fellowship, she's like, I got time. I can actually pick <laughs> them up before the daycare closes, you yeah. know, go. And so I went and um, I, I just, yeah, it, it would be, I think, just a natural fit. And I love that even though you're on radio, you also podcast and now that makes sense why because a lot of times between youtube and tv there's like this beef and that was kind of one of my goals was to learn and see why is there this beef and then i'm like okay i gotta go to mip i gotta go to vidcon because i understand that before radio was tv being like kicked out of certain offices i won't say viacom but big offices <laughs> are people laughing at you saying radio should be filmed why not double dip it's yeah. just content so I, I i totally get it and i believe yeah if they don't pick it up somebody else will 
and even the international market for what you do, they yeah, need it. Yeah. And 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 it and it's so unfair that you know you are uh, speak Spanish that if you throw it in Spanish and you know they see you on the novellas, <laughs> you know then everybody will say hey hey come jump jump <laughs> because you I can see that like you could play those parts and and that's a beautiful thing. Now Spanish, you grew up in Michigan. Um, I know you double majored in Spanish is one of those things. Why mm -hmm. Spanish? And I, I'm trying to have someone listening say, this is why you need to, you know, at least practice another language. You don't have to perfect it, but why Spanish for you? It's funny when people look at me, especially with my name, James Miller. I mean, could mm -hmm. I be any more Caucasian? Uh, so I'm actually half my, my mom's side. Um, they're Mexican and Spanish. And so mm -hmm. I grew up speaking, not when I grew up as a kid, my Spanish was really broken, but only to my grandparents who didn't speak Spanish. And so it was natural for me because I, I had, but those of you who are musicians will have a really, you may not realize it, but you have a really good ear for languages. And so if you are into music and you really appreciate that, more than likely you have the talent for, for languages. So that's something just to be aware of if you didn't know that, definitely recommend you try something out. Um, but yeah, but it was just a natural thing for me. And it was, I identified a lot more with my Latin roots as a little boy. Um, and the older I got, it just, it just things just changed. Uh, but yeah, but that's what made sense for me. And, and I knew just growing up that not only did I appreciate the Latin culture and, the, and that side of me, but I just knew overall, it's best to have two languages. And so I was, I did a lot of um, study abroad in high school. And then I lived in Spain for a year uh, for university when I went to university rather, which was wonderful, which really changed my Spanish. The funny thing is, is that even <laughs> once I became even you know, really fluent in Spanish, all of a sudden my English improved so much more. <laughs> like I understood how to speak English better. <laughs> and so it was kind of funny to me. And I was like, okay, well, apparently I had, to, I had to become more fluent in another language to understand how to speak my native language. But yeah, but I would definitely recommend anybody do that. Specifically with the world is not as, you know, specifically here in the United States, the world is not as, English oriented as it used to be. There's so many wonderful people coming into this country and in that it's best to be able to converse and to communicate in any language possible. And not only that, but it just really helps kind of rework from a neurological standpoint, it helps kind of rework your brain, which allows you to understand and conceptualize things a little bit different, helps your memory, helps your retention. So there's a lot of wonderful benefits for when people do learn a new language. Okay. And, and the old saying, you know, you won't understand one language until you understand two is pretty much. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that was my experience. <laughs> and, and so for, you know, what you do for your clients and you're a, a good listener and being non-judgmental, um, you know, and you're working on your, your PhD, is that more of for you to have a better understanding or is that a money play? Because a lot of times, you know, you'll be in high school and people will tell you, hey, go do this degree, go do that degree. Mm -hmm. You can go get that degree and find out you can't really get an affordable wage until you go to grad school. Then when you're in grad school and you're teaching for the professors and you really think you're hot and, you know, you got everybody, you know, listening to you, um, you find out, wait, hold on. Sometimes in fields, a PhD can hurt you, especially if you get it young. I found that getting a grad degree young um, was kind of like people look at you like, why'd you do it so young? And I'm like, I'm not that young. Um, <laughs> but you have people a lot older than you, you know, going. Yeah, yeah. But, but did you do it for the bag or did you do it for the learning? Um, what is inspiring? You know, that? that's a great question. Uh, my PhD, more than likely, and I, I, I've actually, I started my PhD right out of 
I think it's like a year or two out of undergrad. And honestly, Kellen, I just, life just went on and I just, I just had never went back and finished it. So I, I'm pretty close to finishing it, but that, I, that was on my, my, my resume from years ago. So I haven't, I need to, I guess, update it on my side. Yeah. But honestly, I, and I say this respectfully, but the income that I made in my private practice was equal to that of a PhD and maybe a little bit more. Um, and so when I looked at it from a business standpoint, from a business standpoint or economical standpoint, I didn't necessarily need it. From a prestige standpoint or to maybe open up a few more doors, I did need it. So the, because of the way I'm, I mean, one day I would love to finish it. The people who have, who have completed the PhD, phenomenal. So much tenacity, so much brilliance. And I completely um, honor them and, and respect them for that. And definitely I always call them doctor because they worked hard for it. Uh, but for me at this time, it's not on my list of things to complete as of today. Um, it's always one of those dreams that I would like to finish and I'm sure I will one day. Uh, but I, with everything that's happening, that is not on my plate or in the front, the forefront of my, of my mind right now, my goals. Uh, but I do think that just like you said, I remember when I did undergrad for psychology, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to change the world. And then when I saw my first paycheck, I was like, Oh, it's not really going to change anything. So, and then I was like, okay, well, apparently I have to go, um, and like you said, and get a graduate degree. So I did that, and it still wasn't that much money. But the point was, at least I had more, it afforded me more opportunities to be able to start my own business because um, most people don't realize it, but if you don't have a clinical license post, um, post-graduate work, you can't open up your own clinic. Um, and so with that, I had to get licensed. And so that's a whole other process after that. And so... Um, so for those of you who want to go into mental health, it's a wonderful opportunity, but just really make sure you understand all the steps you have to take because it's not, is, is like, it's not the same as with other degrees, four-year degrees, where all of a sudden you can do something and you have to take a lot more steps with, with mental health. So it's, um, it definitely is a, it's a journey, but it a, has wonderful benefits on the other side. And, and I'll say, you know, when you do write your book, it will look great, doctor this and that. But mm-hmm. besides that, it is a lot of times you're like, why would, I mean, what's the incentive? I mean, we need people, you know, in mental health. We need nurses. We need doctors. A lot of times there's not this, you know, quick, easy way to get there. And you have to then suffer and put one thing on the side while you go do this so you can go serve the people. Because I mean, that's what you're doing. You are doing something that is needed. It's in demand. Um, I tell people, don't go get the artsy fartsy degree, do something that can actually benefit, you know, whether, yeah, life changing, whether it's the soldiers coming home or even Mm -hmm. business owners. And I want to talk about that because can you talk about the, the, I want to say it's the depression, but it's also the, you know, fake. I'm not depressed. I'm great because (laughs) business is great and I can show you my ledger. It's great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But can can you talk about what you're seeing in business owners and why, you know, um, I think every business owner should go talk with somebody at, at least once a year. Yeah. What I always tell people, just whether you're a business owner or not, you should always talk to someone. I, I have some patients or some people with whom I still work. I do see a handful of people now and again um, that are still up in the D.C. area. I didn't transfer my license down here. Uh, to Florida. So I travel up there a lot when I just for business and, and different reasons. Uh, but I always tell people it's, it's, you should at least talk to someone at least once a year just to check in. Because when you check in, you can see all the wonderful things that are going well. Or if you can see there's, there's a need that maybe you kind of fell back to the wayside for some previous, um, previous behaviors or mindsets that you just weren't aware of. So I think 
the more we're aware that this can come from a, a tune-up standpoint as opposed to a mental health deficit or mental health struggle, you'll find that when you reframe any situation or look at a situation slightly different, it doesn't have the same, there's something wrong with me mentality. And the truth is, is people who have mental struggles, mental health struggles, there's nothing wrong with them per se. It's just they have different, different way in which they look at the world. And so my job is to help them figure out how they look at the world and how it makes sense for them and then how to thrive with that as opposed to that always being a struggle that they will have. And, and I would never minimize what people go through, but the more awareness people have, the more successful they can be to understand how they can thrive in the world. Okay. I like, I like how you put that, the way they see and view the world. I always tell people, I know I'm part-time crazy. I know that the <laughs> idea... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know different, trust me. There are times I have to remind myself, James, you're a quote specialist in this, and so you probably should do what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's just how do you then portray it to the rest of the folks who are stuck? And it's the same way, like if you are an entrepreneur versus talking to someone in corporate America, that you guys are going to say things different i i you know entrepreneurs don't go to sleep so hey we're up all the time yeah, we're, we're, yeah. And, that's, and that's a really good point to say it because uh from a clinical standpoint that we have um without getting too technical we have what's called a diagnostic statistical manual and that's basically like the bible of all diagnoses in the back they have what's called uh, cultural differences or cultural uh, disorders if you will or cultural um understandings rather so what that basically means is if if one culture believes something then that's really true to them and that's not a disorder it's just a cultural um a cultural adaptation so i can't say well this person is, has this or that if it's part of the culture so to kind of piggyback off what you said as far as from entrepreneurs if entrepreneurs stay up all night if we can stereotype them that in that way then that makes sense that's not a quote a mood disorder as far as mania because they don't need sleep and so there's there's a different way to look at this so when you can talk to someone who who is well-versed with entrepreneurs or someone who's well-versed in business, who has a different understanding that of maybe other clinicians may have, you'll find that it makes more sense because you're able, they're able to connect with you in a way to help you really maximize what's going well. Sometimes in psychology or in mental health, we often think about, we often focus rather on what's not going well. And that, that has a time and place to process. Process-oriented therapy is very important. However, when we come from a positive psychology approach, we look at what is going well. So if I'm a business owner, an entrepreneur, and I say, okay, this is what I want to do. If I continually focus on what's not going well, well, then I'm always going to look for what's not going well. And I lose the opportunity to be able to focus on, well, what is going well? If I have a certain type of people who keep um, buying my services or keep wanting to talk to me, well, let me focus on them because the more you focus on them, the more than that attracts more people. And so the problem is, is that if most people always come from a deficit standpoint or what's not working or um, come from a place of, oh my gosh, where do I find all this money? And they, it comes from a place of anxiety or panic or fear or worry. And yes, that, that has its time and its place. But when you come from a positive psychology approach of focusing on what is going well, enhance that, build off of that, you'll find that perhaps that even may give you a, a different shift in where you're the model that you have of, of your business, or it allows you to, just to give you that cushion of, yes, this is going really well. Let me do more of this. And all of a sudden you find your business starts to grow exponentially. And that same worry I heard in one of your podcasts is um, 
the imposter syndrome, you know, when folks just, when you worry if you're faking it, and I know um, the King consultant, Alan Weiss, who we've had on the show, you know, we've talked about that. Everyone can feel that. I can hear it in my head and that can go right out because as long as these invoices that I don't even have to send anymore for clients, (laughs) they continually get paid. There's nothing imposter about this. Maybe I'm just, you know, feeling so grandiose on my throne that this is working. And when the market shifts and AI takes over everything, I Mm -hmm. still have a plan all the way to Z. Yes. (laughs) I did a, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go, go ahead, go ahead. I had, a, I had a guest on my show, his name Daniel Burris, brilliant, brilliant man. He, we, he talked about the anticipatory mindset. The anticipatory mindset basically states you think of today, but you also are ahead of the trend to be able to say, okay, as this shifts, what's my plan already that I have in place? So you easily morph into that as opposed to come from a place of, oh gosh, what am I going to do? There was a, a wonderful, I should say wonderful. Them. But there was, there was, those of you who may be a little bit older remember a place called Blockbuster, <laughs> a place where you had to go and you had to get, you had to get DVDs. In other words, your movies, it wasn't like a red box. You had to go there and you had to get your DVDs with your cassettes. And they were the top of their, at the top of their game. They were so well known. Everyone knew about Blockbuster. And then a small little company said, we have this opportunity to be able to stream, stream videos uh, from people's house. Would you be interested in um, buying us or joining us? And they said, no, we're the leaders in this industry. We don't need your help. And unfortunately, they went out of business, and then that little company was called Netflix. And so Netflix completely was anticipatory, understood the trends, and now we, we all know Netflix, and some of you may not know who Blockbuster is. So the point of that is, is every single thing you do, you can't become stagnant. So that comes back to that sense of the mediocrity that we talked about earlier. If you find that you're just bringing your checks in left and right, and that's great, but always remember that the need that the world has for your business is going to change. And if you're not constantly tweaking and being aware of how you can slightly shift and really looking at the metrics that you have in your, in your database or in your, in your invoices and what, whatnot, you'll find that the more awareness you have, the more you can move that your business right along with that trend and you'll constantly be current. That's beautifully, beautifully put in the need. Every business, you know, there's a need. And I use that blockbuster because I, I tell, <laughs> yeah, I use, because in, in government contracting, your your average person is, you know, 60 years old. And when mm-hmm. you're talking about, we don't have to go door to door anymore. There's this thing, yeah. you know, we can do this digital marketing and they're like, what's that? Well, that's the invoice in itself because it's going to take us days to get you up to speed, especially if yeah. you have a Yahoo account account or a hotmail still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I love that. Can you talk about though, your, your music, your piano? I mean, sure. if you, I mean, is that your therapy? Because I mean, if it's not the weightlifting, if you guys go to James Miller, Lifeology, <laughs> you'll see he lives in the gym. Like <laughs> he lives. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, he lives in the gym. And so where does the piano come in and, and what inspired that? Yeah, thank you. That, that's, that's funny. <laughs> um, ever since I was a little boy, I always, um, I, I, well, I started, started piano lessons, I guess, when I was in grade three. So I was about eight years old. And I didn't, I hated it. I hate, like, I'm sure every, a lot of young kids, they hate having to play. So I would like to go out and play with my friends as opposed to having to take piano lessons. But the older I got, and I really came back to my music, uh, because I did a lot of composing as as a little boy, um, 
you know, it's, it's when I look back at it now, it's really cute. Well, I think it's, but, um, but that was just always something that for me, I found that music itself, and I'll try not to get too technical here, but I found that music itself for me, as I play, it's very cathartic. And um, there's, once again, I'll try not to get too technical. No, go technical. We like technical. We okay. like to deep. go deep. <laughs> so the, the way I write, because of the psychology background and because of my understanding of neurology and the way that, um, the way sound affects one's body, the way that I actually write is I will take, um, so I have two albums right now. The first album is called Consolation. The second album is called Restoration. And I'm working on my third one right now. So each, each album is written like a book. Each chapter is, each composition is written like a chapter in a book. So what I'll do is I'll take an emotional construct. Um, I think, well, for example, one, Consolation. That, with that, the name of the album, and for me, Consolation means just healing, um, growth, or not growth, but healing, and just, um, just consoling, comforting. So I took that, and with all the years of experience that I have with psychology, I said, well, what, what are, what's the imagery that I experienced from people uh, that I worked with? And so then my job was to take that imagery and then write it into music. And then what I would do is then I would, the beat of the, of the song, beats per minute, would be that of a, of a resting heart rate. And so as, as I play, our body automatically adjusts to the beats that we hear. For example, if we're working out and we have this really, you know, this music that has this really strong beat and it's a fast beat, that's what we love to do for cardio or for running or for anything. You know, if you do like a spin class, that's what they do. And so I would take that, that, that type of um, concept with it. And then it would also affect um, not only the heart rate, but one's blood pressure. And so I would really create from a psychological approach, but also with, um, but also with a, um, I guess a music theory approach as well. So I would mix the two together. And so that's kind of how I would go through it. So as you hear it, uh, the music, what you'll do is um, listen, just think of the name of the title and you'll understand where, from where I'm coming. The other thing is if you buy it on, on iTunes, there's little booklets that come along with it. And so it gives a narrative with it, but also gives the composers um, ideas or notes about what does this mean? And so that's kind of how I write. Now, the other thing, this is really the more technical thing. In my field, we have what's called, there's a wonderful uh, methodology called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a fancy term to basically say that when you split the sides of your brain, so the left side, the right side, you'll find that most people are more dominant on one side. So um, historically, we've said people on the left side that you're more uh, logical and people on the right side, you're more creative. So as I play, what I do is when you move your hands back and forth, or you can do this in anything, like even when you're driving or washing the dishes, the movements of moving your hands back and forth, what it does is it causes your brain, the synapse, to go back and forth in between sides of both hemispheres. And so with this eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, the way we help people with trauma is they actually hold on to something they're like little theratappers. They're like this little vibrating things that vibrate back and forth to the left side to the right side. And so what the therapist will do is they will link them with the beginning thoughts of a trauma. And what happens is that as those things pulse back and forth, it moves them back and forth between the left side and the right side so that their body reprocesses it so they understand what really happened. And so it's almost like it zips the both sides of it up so that the trigger of whatever the trauma was doesn't physically trigger them. So that's what the philosophy is. And so anybody who has any type of trauma, you want to look into that methodology. And so it's, the acronym is EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's a wonderful, wonderful philosophy. Definitely recommend that. So what I do with that is when I play, I'm consciously aware of that. So not necessarily trauma, but if I haven't had a rough day or a long day, when I play, I allow my brain to think about 
one thing that was overwhelming or one thing I kind of struggled with. And then as you play, it allows your brain to kind of process the whole day out. So it links together all the different aspects of what you thought about, how it made sense for you. And then once I'm done, I feel a sense of accomplishment. I feel a sense of closure. I feel a sense of you know, just comfort or relief. And so that, long story short, is how, how my process is for when I write and write. Now I know why you have to finish your PhD because <laughs> I, I vision not just the video when you said that. I see everything in video, oh, TV, whatever. But, but also when your, your therapy is, I could see you coming up with something where they literally, kind of like Chord Buddy does, where they can put their hands in and they can play with you. Um, and the hands, oh, your, your hands move. Oh, yeah. And, and, the, and the, we don't just like to get the game, we like to give it. But <laughs> we, we, I, I could see it and, and with the, it, in the hands, their hands, you, you know, Dr. Uh -huh. James S. Miller, <laughs> play with me and relax. And that could work from the school to the psych ward, to the yeah. prisons, to wherever. So I, I could see it. So that's why I love I, your entrepreneurial yeah. mind killing. That's great. I love it. No <laughs> wonder you're so successful. That's great. Thank you. It, it, it's it's a work in progress, and I don't ever. I don't. I don't know what success is. I know what doing your purpose. And when something is given to you, and it sounds so crazy that we can do that. Like let's just do it. And I've been told for so long that's crazy. That's crazy. And then when it gets done, I get that like. Ha, I am crazy, <laughs> but it works. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But know. I think that's the thing. If, if we don't hear the, that concept or that philosophy that that's crazy, that means somebody else can do it or somebody else will do it. Mm -hmm. But when we think beyond what people around us or even what we think we can do, then we know that we have, the more we search for something, the more we'll find something. But if I can say I can do this right now in my own strength, it's not really a goal. It's, it's an accomplishment and it's great, but I'm not stretching. I'm not growing. So if I can do this today, then yeah, that's, like I said, it's great. But if I want to continually exponentially grow, I have to think beyond my ability today to accomplish that. Because yeah. I have lots of goals that I know that I'm like, oh, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. But I'm going to search for the answer until I can find my way of how to do that. And what do you think about having so many goals? I tell people retirement's not an option for an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. I said, you know, and I've heard this um, preach, teached so many times, but I really take it as this is how my, my life is. Like I have so many things that I want to do and on my board that I may never get them done and sure. that's okay. But let me take one step at a time. Like I don't want to be all over the place, zip, zip, zippity doodah, but to say, even in my 60s, 70s, there's things that the world will be ready for, um, mm -hmm. that I want to, you know, I want to then jump. On, on, on this because they'll be ready. There's some things that they won't be ready for. Our times are changing. I don't know what you can say, what you can't say. That's mm -hmm. why we're going to move back down south because I think I'll be able to speak a little more freely. <laughs> but <laughs> on the West Coast, I mean, you can offend somebody's, you know, uh, sheep if you say, hey, sheep <laughs> really, yeah, really can't be in the hospital right now. No, it's my animal. It helps. Yeah, okay, sure. okay, okay, okay. So I, I, what we, I, I like to ask you, and we ask um, all of our guests, you know, with all the success that you've had and the things, and you're multi-talented, times multi-talented, what are your community give backs that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Mm -hmm. Ever since I was a little boy, I've always wanted to have my own community center to be able to give back to underprivileged kids or to people who just 
aren't able to get a, I don't want to say to get a break because that's, that's not, that's lumping too many people together, but just to get back to individuals who, who have a gift who want something different and to create a platform where to help them understand their skill sets. I've worked with a lot of, a lot of other entrepreneurs who have that ability to say, okay, well, this is this, there's a, there's a certain type of, type of career test that you don't really ever hear of, but it's very, very powerful. And working with individuals like that to be able to help young kids or young individuals be able to take that to say, wow, this is exactly my skill strength, as opposed to the old versions of those career tests that we take that are like, oh yeah, you could be an engineer or you can be you know, a farmer, which is wonderful things, of course, but it's so different, you know, engineered or farmer, that's, <laughs> that doesn't, I don't know how that works, but sometimes they would get those broad types of um, careers. So that's what I really do. I, that's long-term what I want to do is to be able to create my own um, inner city community center like that to be able to give back to a lot of the individuals today what i do i do a lot of um i do a lot of speaking and guest appearances for nonprofit organizations to um to lend whatever credibility i can to work with them i do that a lot on my show as well um, i have a lot of really wonderful um, federations and organizations i work with to to be able to give them a little bit more exposure so people can help them you know when it comes to disabilities and there's this company i've worked with um that they focus specifically on having um, individuals who have disabilities the families be able to get the vans their actual van for their house because I, I can't remember the exact amount but i think it's like thirty thousand dollars just to get a van that has out, that's outfitted for a person who has disabilities and that for a lot of people who don't have that money it's really hard to be able to to find something just to be able to be um, ambulatory or be able to be mobile and so um, like i said work with a lot of different, different organizations like that and that's that that's my way of giving back as much as I can to use my, my exposure or my credibility to be able to enhance perhaps other organizations. Wonderful, wonderful. And I think this may be my last question because you guys, I could go on for days. <laughs> but when do you plan to have a book ready for Amazon, Ingram Spark, all those good things, the libraries? When is that coming? It's a great question. So I'm actually working with a literary agent. And so hopefully the book proposal will be written by the end of this next month. And then from there, we shop it around to all the different publishers. And so my goal is to have my contract with the publishing house um, by, by fall. And then by fall, then you have, an, you have a year in which you write it. And then from then, as soon as the, the manuscript is done, they don't promote it right then. It's actually a two-year process. And so after you turn in the manuscript, it takes another year for them to to do the final edits, to do the, the book launches and all that as well. So my goal is this year to have it done. Um, it was on my list of last year, but I got a little bit behind due to some other things. Uh, but yeah, so this year it's definitely on my list. In fact, I'm talking to someone this week about the proposal um, so that I'm looking forward to getting some response. And, and, and I love that. And, and you're going that traditional way, beautiful thing. So we write books. Um, this th this right here is my wife's book we just put out, oh, right? And, and, and yeah, and she talks about going from a CNA to an MD. And she, like yourself, was like, "Well, how do we go about this?" And I said, "We could uh -huh. go do the whole traditional route." But mm -hmm. I said, "I've been writing books for years now. I have my own publishing company, and that's okay. not something that I talk about." so much but i did it because you find out when you have your own company you can kind of you know be in these groups these secret societies sure. i call yeah, them definitely. that you didn't even know existed <laughs> um and i really take from the school of rockefeller aka dame dash where i want mm -hmm. to control 
what I put out. But, um, you know, if there was a literary agent, I said, hey, Kellen, could you talk about your life and this and that? And I've had a, a couple of offers. I don't know how serious, but my number is That's real serious, going. too. I know, right? <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. My number is real serious number, because yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to die without having certain things out yeah, there, sure. you know. But no, James, I appreciate you coming on. James, all his information will be in the description box. So you'll know where to go get the album, where to go to the website. He's going to update us and let us know how this TV deal is going to go. Because this is, you know, that in itself, too, is a long process. TV never moves fast, ever. But I appreciate you coming on. And please keep us posted. And we will go have that lunch. We'll be that there lunch, July yes. first. <laughs> oh, oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kelly. I really appreciate being a guest on your show today. Thank you. B blessings. You guys have got the game. Enjoy, like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff, whether you listen on a podcast or if you listen on to our YouTube. Get our YouTube numbers up, too, you guys. I know you love the podcast, but James, you want to see the decor. You want to see what I'm saying when I'm saying the guy works out. I mean, I'm going <laughs> to calm it down. Yeah, you know. All right. Have a good one. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, Tyson, and A.M. The number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.